Well, we're really, really glad that you are here this morning. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you all this morning, and it's going to require a little bit of participation. So if you're still feeling a little bit out of it, you're still not feeling quite awake, you know, go ahead and slap yourself a little bit, you know, drink a five-hour energy shot or something, do whatever you got to do. Uh, but a couple questions, and I need you to be honest, okay? So no, like, uh, yeah, that's kind of true. Like, if this applies to you at all, I need you to be honest this morning, okay? So first question, who has ever felt, by a show of hands and be honest, who has ever felt like Christianity constricts your life more than it frees your life? At any point in your life, if you have ever felt like that, I really want you to raise your hand. Okay, so uh, this is good. We have some honest people in our midst. Okay, go ahead and put your hands down. All right, next one. Raise your hand if you have ever thought that following Jesus is about following rules, that those two things just kind of go hand in hand, that following Jesus and following rules are just kind of part of the program. Anyone ever felt like, I'm putting my hand up because I would definitely fall in this category. I love that you guys are being honest this morning. All right, put your hands back down. Now, what's so interesting about that and I, I firmly believe this, is if Jesus was standing here with us this morning in the flesh, right? He was here, and he just watched so many of our hands go up to those two questions. I, I believe that he would be standing here asking this question. Where did you get that from? I mean, who told us that? Where did we get that information from? Because it certainly wasn't from Jesus. In fact, Jesus kind of came, one of the big reasons that he came was to get rid of that type of thinking. He came to simplify things as much as possible. Now, before Jesus, that type of thinking was not only common, but it made all the sense in the world. In fact, people would readily embrace this idea of rules and regulations and laws and do's and don'ts. It was kind of the backbone for all of religion and specifically uh, Judaism. One of the primary requirements of Judaism was that you not only had to follow the law, but in most cases, you would actually have to memorize the law as well. Now, some of you are going, what the heck is the law? Well, the law is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It was this really, really thick book full of hundreds upon hundreds of laws, do's and don'ts, things that you could do, things that you couldn't do. And not only were you required to actually just follow those things and keep an ear out for those things, you actually had to memorize them as well. And when you screwed up and you didn't follow the law perfectly, and everyone did, it was an impossible standard to keep. When you didn't follow those things perfectly, then there was this really complex sacrificial system that you had to, you know, give up your family cat or your family dog or give up some grain and all these different things in order to atone for your sins or atone and say sorry for not following the law perfectly. And again, even the most devout Jews, they didn't follow this thing perfectly. The high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, nobody followed the standard perfectly because it was an impossible standard to keep. Now just imagine that that was still the standard, that, that upon showing up here today or any other Christian church for that matter, you sat down and were like, hey, we're so glad that you're here. And then we drop this massive book into your lap. We're like, hey, before you come back next time, we're gonna need you to go ahead and familiarize yourself with this thing. And actually, we need you to memorize it. Okay, sound good? You'd all be like, uh, are you serious? I mean, we have a hard enough time getting people to sign up for groups and sign up to serve on teams and tithe. I mean, you would be, if that was the standard, as Seacrest would say, out. There's not a chance you would actually do that. In fact, that's what happened for a lot of people that were interested in converting to Judaism. That initial excitement, that initial fervor would quickly wear off. They'd end up walking away feeling defeated really before things ever got started because there was this standard in place that was so hard to follow. And we all know what that feeling is like, right? We've gotten things in our inboxes. We see things on social media like, win a $500 Amazon gift card. Win a free vacation. Win a free flight to Mexico. You might even get it from a legitimate source, right? Like from your favorite place that you shop at. It's like win a $10,000 shopping spree. And every once in a while you get curious and you actually click because who doesn't like free stuff? And you click on the link and you're like, 
that seems hard. They're like, all you got to do is share this with 500 of your Facebook friends. And then if each one of them share it 50 times, then you'll get entered into a drawing. And if you win that drawing, we're going to need a lot of personal information from you, maybe your credit card, social security number. And then you'll get entered into another drawing. And if you win that drawing, you have a one in a million chance of winning that $500 gift card. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Because it's such an impossible standard of thing to keep up with who has time for that. And again, people back in the first century, second century, before then even, were going, there is no way that we can actually keep up with this stuff. But then Jesus steps foot on earth. And everything slowly but surely starts to change. He starts living his life in this way that you can only you know, describe it as like magnetic. People are just attracted to Jesus and they can't really even put their finger on the why, but they just want to be around him. And he teaches with such passion and authority when he talks that people are like, I actually want to listen to the, this guy. Now religion was so ingrained in society back then that people were familiar with the idea of coming and listening to a person speak. But when Jesus spoke, again, he spoke with this excitement and this passion and this authority that people are like, I actually want to listen to this guy. And then he started making these really bold statements. He starts saying things like, I am the fulfillment of the law. You know that thing that you've been working so hard to memorize and follow? I'm the fulfillment of that. And people are like, I got no idea what in the heck that means, but it sure sounds sweet. And then he goes on and he starts even making crazier comments. He starts telling people things like, I forgive you of your sins. I mean, things that at the time, you guys, we have to understand, they would have just been like, oh my goodness, so cringeworthy. You were not supposed to say things like that. He'd be like, I forgive you of your sins. And his own disciples would be like, oh Jesus, shut up. You can't say that stuff out loud. You are going to get yourself in trouble. But then he dies. He's crucified. He is killed for those things that he had to say. And this is so, so important. At this point, nobody believed. Everybody walked away. His 12 disciples, the guys that, that spent all that time with him in the flesh, that witnessed all the miracles, they were all cowards. They all ran away. His own family members walked away. His own mother abandoned him. Nobody believed, not one person. But three days later, he rises from the dead. And then that changes everything. And suddenly people realize, you know that guy? Maybe we should actually like paid a little bit more attention to what he had to say. Because if somebody predicts their own death and they predict their own resurrection and it actually happens, well my goodness, that seems noteworthy. And one of the things that Jesus would readily talk about and he would even attack the Jewish leaders with was the law. I mean, he'd go and he'd have these conversations with them and he'd be like, come on, what are we doing here? I mean, you have set up this standard that not even you guys can keep up with. I mean, you, you are supposed to be the highest of high. I mean, we hold you in higher esteem than anyone else, and not even you can keep up with this standard. It's impossible. Why do you continue to burden people with the law? Why do you continue to hang this thing over people's heads? And because Jesus had this way of kind of regularly challenging these religious leaders, and at the time, you have to keep in mind, this was so abnormal. Nobody dared, you know, even if they were thinking it, they wouldn't actually say these things to these religious leaders because, again, these were like the highest members of society. You didn't dare question them. It was another thing that made Jesus so attractive to these people that were standing around witnessing this because they're like, oh my goodness, this guy is actually saying all these things that I have been thinking. And because he keeps challenging them, they would in turn ask him questions as a means of trapping Jesus. They were asking him these very strategic questions, hoping that Jesus would answer in such a way that it would get him into trouble. 
Because back then, there wasn't the freedom of speech that we now share. If you said certain things, if you said certain things a certain way, you might find yourself in jail. You could even find yourself getting killed. And in the book of Matthew, which is the first book that we find in the New Testament, it's one of the gospel books that documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, um, the religious leaders, they're fed up. They've had enough with Jesus kind of poking and prodding at them and specifically constantly pointing his finger at the law and why it was such a ridiculous standard. And so they asked Jesus this question. They're like, okay, wise guy. Here's what they ask him. They say, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Because you've made it really, really clear that you think the law is a joke. The law and the law of Moses, synonymous terms there. You've made it really clear that you think this is a ridiculous standard. You've made it clear that nobody could possibly keep up with this. But do you really think the entire thing is a waste? I mean, is there any value inside the law? And actually what they're really asking them is this question. They're saying, what is the standard that we should measure our lives by? Because up to this point, we have had the law. We have had this thing that we're able to look at and it kind of tells us how we're measuring up, how we are doing in life. If we're doing things right, if we're doing things wrong. And so if we don't have the law, what is the standard that we should measure our lives by? Perhaps it's a question that you have actually asked yourself at a certain point in life. Maybe you haven't used those exact terms, but what is the standard that we should measure our lives by? And you have to picture... At this point, everybody is leaning in. This wasn't just like Jesus and these, you know, these high priests having this conversation. There would have been all these people around. And they did that on purpose because, again, they're hoping to trip Jesus up. And then they could be like, hey, see, look at Jesus. He, he screwed up. He answered the question wrong. And so everybody's leaning in because everybody is subconsciously hoping, okay, hopefully he sim- simplifies this thing just a bit because nobody appreciated the law. Everybody was going, this is an impossible thing to keep up with. And they're all leaning in. And you picture the scene, everybody's sitting there. People are probably ready to take notes. They're like, what if? I mean, what if he made this thing a little bit easier? What if he cut the law like in half? And then Jesus says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And nobody would have disagreed with that part. I mean, the high priest had been like, all right, yeah, I mean, he kind of got us there. I mean, yeah, we, we can agree with that part. But then he goes on to make this statement that has pretty drastic implications. He said, a second is equally important. As in just as important as loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, here's this next command that I'm going to give you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the people that you come in contact with on a daily basis in the same way that you love yourself. And then he says this, and again, we we can't totally appreciate just how big this is, but back then, I mean, this would have been a huge statement. He says, the entire law, as in that whole book filled with hundreds upon hundreds of laws, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And everyone would have been leaning in going, is he serious? I mean, did did he really just take that entire book? Did did he just take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws and reduce it down to love God and love people? Love God, love people? I mean, is, is it really possible that that is that simple? And Jesus is going, you know that huge thing that you've been working so hard to follow, but nobody actually follows it because, well, honestly, it's impossible to follow that standard? Well, I just took all of that and I reduced it down to love God and love people. I just took thousands of years of of tradition and religion, layer upon layer of you can do this and you can't do this, all these complex rules, and I took it down to love God and love people. And then Jesus, in one of his final conversations that he ever has with his disciples, he's sitting around and he's, he's, he's reminding them that, hey, 
I am not going to be around very much longer. I know I've hinted at this a little bit, but this is a reality. Like, I'm really not going to be on earth forever. Eventually, this whole crucifixion thing that I've been alluding to, it's going to happen. And he's talking with them about being one of his followers. And you have to remember, this whole idea of rules and laws and religion and traditionalism, this sort of been something that was just so deeply ingrained for the disciples. Because these were Jewish men, which meant they were at one point Jewish little boys who grew up going to synagogue. I mean, religion was just such a part of their lives. Following the law was such a part of their lives. And Jesus has almost this daunting task of kind of deprogramming their brains and the disciples sensing that they don't have very much time left with Jesus. Starting to put it together that like, oh crud, like he's actually not going to be around anymore. They start to panic and they start asking him these really panicky questions like, well Jesus, what are we going to do without you and and how do we tell people and and where do we start and how do we actually even know Jesus if someone is a Christian and how do we know if they've actually officially converted to Christianity because guess what, we don't really have the law anymore. It doesn't actually even seem like we have a process. In fact, Jesus, we never told you this before, but we got to be honest with you. This whole thing seems a little ambiguous. How will people even know that we are your followers? How will we know if other people are your followers? And Jesus goes on to say this statement, which doubles down on the statement that he already said to the religious leaders, and he probably grins. And he looks at them, and he says, hey, you're overthinking this which we've all done at certain points. And he says this, he says, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This will be the distinguishing mark of those who call themselves Jesus followers how we love one another. That just as Jesus so loved us, that he came and he died for us, when we show that same kind of love to other people, when we recklessly love those individuals that we come in contact with, that will be the distinguishing mark of a Christian. And, and, and the, the disciples would have been sitting there and thinking, perhaps maybe like you're thinking this morning, that's it. I mean, it, it can't possibly be that simple. But don't miss this. This is precisely why Jesus came. He came and he took this complex, old, worn out, impossible to keep standard that nobody was keeping up with. God looked down at this mess that we have all created for ourselves and he chose to get involved. Which is something that he did not have to do. We sinned. We caused that separation between ourselves and our creator. And God chose to find a solution. He could have just as easily hung an out-of-order sign on the world and walked away from this mess. But no, he chose to stay involved. He, he, he so desperately wants a relationship with every single person in this room that he sent his one and his only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for your mistakes. He sent Jesus for you. He took this old, complex, worn-out religious system and said, I am going to simplify the crap out of this. And for so many of us, we grew up in churches, or we grew up in homes, or we grew up around people that have continued to emphasize religion. Do this and don't do this. Follow this rule and don't follow this rule. And God's looking down going, what in the heck are we doing? I got rid of that when I sent my son. And so if you've grown up in that environment, of do's and don'ts, do this and don't do this, and you can do this and you can't do this, and if you follow this rule ever so perfectly, they may be, just maybe, you will end up in heaven. 
first I want to tell you I'm sorry. But I also want to tell you something that I think will be incredibly, incredibly freeing. You want to know the rules? This is the list that Jesus gives us to be one of his followers. You ready? Love each other. Love each other. As Jesus loves us, we should love each other. That's it. It's that simple. Love one another. Love each other. So I want you to pause and hold on to that thought here for just a second. But I want to take a quick minute and pray for you. Pray for me. So let me do that now. Father, we say thank you that you did make this so simple. That we don't have this this old standard anymore, this, this thing that would have been so impossible to keep, this thing that would have been such a detriment to people even showing an interest in learning about you. And we thank you that you made this so simple, so easy to digest. Father, I, I pray that, that the simplicity of this wouldn't, wouldn't cause us to overlook it. That you would do what only you can do in this room today and that we would actually move that upon feeling whatever it is that we might feel by the end of this, that we would actually take action and do something about it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're in this series right now, uh, as we've alluded to, called the Grumlaw Seven. Here's what the Grumlaw Seven are. Uh, weekends, baptism, daily encounter, generosity, group, serve, and share. We are nearing the end. We are in the sixth week of this series. But man, if you have not been here uh, throughout this entire series, I can't encourage you enough. Please go online, go to grumlaw.com and click on recent messages or catch it on iTunes. We think it's so, so important that you, you know, stay plugged in throughout this whole series because really this series is so instrumental to why we are doing this, why we started this new church in Grand Blank. And so in the first week we talked about weekends, why we, why we do what we do here on Sunday mornings, why we go to the trouble of setting this all up and tearing it all down every single weekend. The second week we talked about baptism. And if you're a Jesus follower and since making that decision to follow Jesus, uh, you have not taken that step to be publicly baptized, then what in the heck are you waiting for? You never know how your story might help another story be told. In the third week, we talked about daily encounter, uh, why it's so important that you are spending daily time with God, that, that, that if you're relying on this one hour each week here at Grumlaw to, to sustain your spiritual life, to sustain your relationship with your creator, it's going to fall short. Uh, then we talked about generosity and being generous specifically with our money, and it's when we're generous with our money that we actually experience true financial freedom that as a church Grumlaw we're not just after your money but we do want you to give your money away whether it's at Grumlaw or any of the other the thousands upon thousands of organizations around our globe because when we give uh, that's when we experience that freedom and then Last week, we talked about groups, and if you weren't here last week, uh, we made a big push, and you'll see all of our group leaders out in the lobby after service. You can also sign up online. We really, really want you to sign up for a group because we are not made as people to remain isolated. We are made to be in community with one another, so groups are so important. In fact, I said last week, groups are the most important thing that we do here at Grumlaw, and so, man, if you're not in a group, sign up for a group, and this week, as I've already alluded to, we're going to be talking about serving. Now, the reason that we think serving is so important, the reason that we put it among the Grumlaw 7 is really because of that verse that we already read out of the book of John. It says that, and again, this is Jesus talking, and it's one of the last conversations that he's having with his disciples. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Again, this will be the distinguishing mark of a Jesus follower, how we love one another, how we love those people who come in contact with us. Uh, and that word love, as you probably already figured out, it implies a lot more than just a feeling. It implies action. It implies service. It implies this crazy idea of putting the needs of other people ahead of your own. 
putting the desires of other people ahead of your desires. Now, if you show up here every single week and, and you kind of show up and you get your weekly dose of conviction, right? And then you go on and, and, and nothing really changes in your life. And this is kind of a bold question, but do, do you think that like you're somehow doing God a favor by doing that? Now, I, I know that um, a lot of times, you know, the stuff that we talk about here on Sunday mornings, it isn't an overnight process. But if you've been coming to church for a while, uh, you know, like years, and, and you look back at your life, you know, years ago and where it is now, and you haven't really seen any changes, but yet you've been showing up here every week, again, I don't think you're really doing God a favor by showing up here. And in fact, I'll go so far as to say this, and I know this isn't a popular statement, but I honestly feel like if, if that describes you, God would probably you rather just stay at home. Because if your faith isn't affecting your doing, then could we even say that we have faith? Because in my experience, what I see in life is that faith, or trust as we often refer to it, it not only promotes action, but when we truly trust, when we truly believe in something, action cannot be contained. I mean, action becomes a prerequisite. Trust, we could say it this way, trust unleashes action. It naturally happens. There's no holding it back. And this isn't just a Christian thing. This is a life thing. For those of you that, that are married, isn't it true that as your love grows for your spouse, so does your trust? And as your trust grows for your spouse, so does your love. And as your trust and your love continue to grow for your spouse, service is just kind of a natural thing that begins to pour out of that relationship. You know, things that you once kind of begrudgingly did, you now actually do without even being asked. Like, right, maybe early on in your relationship, your wife would ask you to unload the dishwasher and it was just like murder and you couldn't believe that she would ask you to do something that was so offensive. But, but then as your love and your trust has grown for that individual, you come home and you do it without even being asked. It's unbelievable. On Saturdays, I feel like I spend a good chunk of my days on Saturdays just uh, changing poopy diapers. Uh, and it's not because I love poopy diapers, but I look at my wife and I think, well, my goodness, she does this Monday through Friday from like 8 till 6 o'clock every day. So anything I can do to help her out a little bit on the day that I am home for the entire day, I should probably take advantage of that because I trust and I love her so much. Husbands, you do things for your wives all the time, right? I'm really sure that on our day off, we, we just are dying to do projects around the house, right? It's just the thing that we're just itching to do. Just installing that ceiling fan just sounds like an absolute dream. We don't want to sit on the couch and watch football or watch basketball or anything, but we do those things without complaining because our love and our trust continues to grow. This is true in our relationships. It's true in our marriages. It's true in our friendships, and it's certainly true in our relationship with God as that trust grows. So does that love, and as that love grows, so does that trust, and then service becomes a natural outpouring of that. Now, this is ultimately a choice, and I get that. And some of you, you might be new to this whole church thing, and you're looking going, all right, I don't really see the, the, the idea and the benefit of putting the needs of others ahead of my own. In fact, I actually see far more benefits to being self-seeking and, and looking out for myself. And what's so interesting about this is there's a writer uh, in, in the New Testament. In fact, he wrote like half of the New Testament. He's a guy by the name of Paul. And he writes this letter to the church in Galatia, and because he was so creative, he called it Galatians. And in this letter, he addresses this issue, which is so funny because, again, I, I always find it fascinating when we read these New Testament letters and people were struggling with the exact same issues thousands and thousands of years ago that we are still struggling with today. And he addresses this issue head on. He's like, okay, th there's a logical reason that you should absolutely put the needs of other people ahead of your own. I mean, take religion out of it, take Christianity out of it. I mean, th there are good reasons. And so he says this, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, as in all of us, he's talking to us. He's like, hey, you pay attention to this. This is important. We're called to be free, which is an incredible thing about us, right? Like God gave us free will. You have the ability to do whatever you want. 
If you want to be self-seeking and only look out for yourself, that is entirely your choice. You have the ability to do that. But if you want to serve others and put the needs of others ahead of your own, that's your choice as well. We have free will. But then he goes on and he just says this statement that is just so blunt. He's pretty bold about it, right? He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. I mean, just flat out. He doesn't tell you to think about it. He just tells you, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Because when we indulge our flesh, when we give in to our sinful desires, whether you're a Christian or not, doesn't it always fall short? Is it ever actually fulfilling? Does the satisfaction ever last? When we are constantly self-seeking, are we ever actually satisfied? Don't we always end up wanting more? I mean, aren't the most miserable people that you know in your life the people that only look out for themselves? And they might have a lot of material stuff, right? They might have a lot of money. They might have a nicer house than you. They might drive a nicer car than you. They might have more toys than you. But you look at them and you're like, man, those people are just not happy. Now, I recognize that I'm making a generalization here, but it generally holds true. Oftentimes, their marriages are falling apart. They don't have great relationships with their kids. When you look at their lives, they don't really have a lot of meaningful, deep friendships. And whether you're a Christian or not, nobody is attracted to that. Nobody wants that life. And so again, he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. But then he goes on to say this. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Put the needs of other people ahead of your own. Serve one another. And then he uses that word humbly. And so he's actually saying there, he's like, serve one another. And when you put the needs of other people ahead of your own, do it in such a way that you're not trying to get the credit. Like your goal shouldn't be like that woman that we saw in the video, right? Where you're serving so that other people in turn see you and be like, hey, look at that person. Look how good they're doing. Serve one another humbly in love. And then he says this exact same statement that Jesus already said many times. He says, for the entire law, that thick book, hundreds and hundreds of rules, is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And listen, I completely understand that this sounds so insanely churchy. And it sounds so cliche and typical of what you would hear in a church and it sounds too simplistic but do not allow the simplicity of this to be the thing that causes you to overlook it because this is the key serve one another you want your marriage to have less fights want there to be less arguments between you and your spouse you want, you want your marriage to be more fulfilling? Treat every day as an opportunity to outserve your spouse. Constantly put their needs and their desires ahead of your own and watch how suddenly, not all, but most of your problems begin to dissipate. You want to get along better with your boss? I mean, the guy, that, the guy or the girl that just absolutely drives you nuts? Walk into work every single day with the mentality that you are going to recklessly serve your coworkers that you're going to put the needs and the desires of your boss even ahead of your own. And again, watch how those issues suddenly dissipate. Watch how you suddenly get along better with those people. You have a roommate that absolutely drives you nuts, that you moved in with them and you're like almost immediately, like, why did I do this? This place looks like a pigsty. Start picking up after them. Do their dishes. Pick up their laundry. Do their laundry. And watch how your relationship with that individual suddenly and almost miraculously improves. And you know what's so interesting about this idea of putting the needs of other people ahead of your own? When we treat life as an opportunity to outserve those that we come in contact with, it does not always have life-changing effects on those individuals that we serve. 
It doesn't always change them, but it always, when we serve, has life-changing effects on us. It's literally the story of every single person that's ever been on a mission trip. It's the story of every single person that, 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 that has ever served in a community soup kitchen. It's the story of every single person that serves on a community project. It's the story of every single person that serves here at the local church. You hear it. I mean, you, you can call it. Now, some of you have, might have no idea what a mission trip is. It's where, like, church people, they go and they, they decide that they're going to go help out people in a third world country to make themselves feel better about themselves. I'm just kidding about that, but mission trips are great. But they go on mission trips. They're a great thing. I, I actually love mission trips. I don't know why I said that. But people go on these mission trips, and they get back, right? And one of the first things that always seems to fly out of their mouth, I mean, you can call it. They're like, hey, I went thinking I was going to help these people out, that I might actually change some people because of how God works through me. And isn't it incredible? My life changed. That trip had far greater implications and made more changes to my life than it did for the people that I was serving. People all the time, when they, they, they sign up to serve at the church, Right? They, they, they say things like, hey, I, I, when I first signed up, I did it because I just thought that you guys needed the help. But my goodness, has it changed me. Serving won't always transform those being served, but it will always transform the service, and that's not an accident. Because as unnatural as that maybe feels, even though it goes directly against our selfish, our innate desires, this goes lockstep with the example that Christ first gave us. Because after all, even Jesus, the Son of God, let me think about that, the Son of God did not come to be served. It says this in the book of Matthew. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. And if there was anybody in the history of the world that could, could have demanded the red carpet rolled out for him, d -d demanded that, hey, you should serve me, I think the Son of God would probably fall into that court category. But instead, he came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come down demanding that the world serve him. In fact, quite the opposite. He recklessly served those around him. And whether you've even tried to define that, whether you've even thought about that, it's one of the things that just inherently attracts us to Christianity. We like the fact that our guy, our God is a guy that didn't come down and made, make demands, but instead he said, how am I going to meet the needs of others? culminating in the most selfless act in the history of the world, in the most servant-minded act in the history of the world, when he gave his life on a cross for you. When he died for your mistakes, despite the fact that he never did anything wrong. So serve your coworkers, serve your neighbors, serve in your community. Husbands, for the sake of your marriages, serve your wives. Wives, for the sake of your, your husbands and your marriages, serve your husbands. Serve in your homes. Parents, serve your kids. Kids, serve your parents. Give of your time and talents. Recklessly serve those around you. And if you're still not convinced, last thing I'll say here, let's just think about this logically. When you have put the needs of other people ahead of your own, have you ever regretted that? I mean, has there ever been a time where, where you have served other people and you look back and you go, I wish I would not have done that? It literally never happens. Even when your buddy like, asks you to move, which is just the worst thing ever in the history of the world, you're like, I don't want to do this, but I love this guy, so I guess I'll say yes. At the end of the day, you aren't going, gosh, dang it, I really wasted a day. There's still something inside of you that is like, I'm actually glad that I did this. We never regret putting the needs of others ahead of our own. 
Remember, God doesn't ask us to do these things arbitrarily. He doesn't ask us to put the needs of other people ahead of our own because it just sounds like the right thing to do. It's so much better than that. It's because he knows how much better our lives will actually be, how much more fulfilling they will be when we consistently put the needs and the desires of others ahead of our own, whether you are a Christian or not. And if you are a Christian, we're further incentivized to do this because as Jesus said, this is how you show the world that you are a Jesus follower. Faith without works. It says that in the Bible. Faith without works is dead. It's meaningless. When we serve each other, we serve God. So one of those ways that you can do that is by literally today signing up to serve here at Grumlaw. Now, this isn't just a reckless ploy to get you to sign up to serve here, but we hope that that is one of the things and one of the areas that you will serve at. If you've been showing up here and you're like, hey, this is the place that we're going to continue to come, we really challenge you to sign up for a team. Now, again, we want you to serve in your houses. We want you to serve in your community, but this is one area that you can serve. There are people that were on our launch team, right? This team of people that were committed to helping get this church started. They still haven't had a week off. We're seven weeks into this and they have served every single week. There are people, there are are people right now back in kids that still don't know what this service looks like. Because every single week, they're hanging out with your whining, snotty-nosed kids. My kids as well. My son's probably bawling back there right now. And they're back there recklessly serving because they want you to have a better experience. Well, I would like to change that. I would like them to be able to come to service every once in a while. And so if you're not serving on one of our teams, on the way out, there's a table there and you can't miss it and there's a big board. We challenge you to pull off a tag off of there. There's a lot of different teams that you can serve on. We're not asking you to serve every week. Stephanie, our admin director, will be back there to ask, answer any questions. Uh, Alex and Andy Sokoviak, our first impressions coordinators, they will be back there to answer any questions as well. But sign up for a team. Serve here at the church. Serve in your community. Serve in your marriages consistently put the needs of others ahead of your own and watch how relationships begin to change but also watch how you begin to change it's so important that we put the needs of others before our own serve one another let me pray for us